Welcome to the Chaka Life Podcast. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for talking to us about your time in the Peace Corps. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. So do you want to tell me a little bit about why you decided to go into the Peace Corps? Yeah, um, I'm, I've always been a person who loved to volunteer, loved traveling. Um, when I first found out about the Peace Corps, it just kind of seemed like a natural fit, um, working with other people who needed a little help maybe, um, yeah, and traveling and seeing new places. But I think the real crux for me was when I was an undergraduate, I studied abroad in Kenya, and I saw where my homestay family was getting their water. It was kind of a really muddy stream, and there was cows that were bathing upstream, um, and that's where they were getting their drinking water from. And um, and I, I just remember seeing that and thinking, man, this is terrible. I want to come back and join the Peace Corps and help them to get clean water. So that was kind of my original intention, um, even though I didn't end up in the water sector, but yeah. Oh, wow. And how did you end up going into the Peace Corps? And about what time in your life did you go in the Peace Corps? So um, I first applied for the Peace Corps uh, right out of college, and I was accepted, um, but I didn't end up going and because I ended up doing AmeriCorps first. And then um, I just kind of I kept applying and then I just something would just come up. Life would just happen. And finally, in 2006, I realized, you know, life is going to keep happening. And if I really want to do this, you know, now I, I need to just do it. Um, and so I put in my application in 2006. Um, and then I had a pretty significant back injury shortly thereafter. Um, but I didn't withdraw my application. They were allowed, they allowed me to kind of prolong it. Um, and so I ended up entering service um, in 2009, which was nine years after I graduated undergraduate. Um, but I actually felt that that gave me a huge leg up. And so I feel like I was able to be pretty successful um, in terms of like organizing people and actually having a few successful projects just because I'd had some life experience. So I was able to really draw on that right. for, for my Peace Corps service. So I felt that was actually not doing it right out of college. I felt was actually a really big asset. And I'm kind of curious, what is the process to apply? You know, that's a great question. And when I applied, it was still a paper application. I know now it's all online. The basic process, um, at least that I went through, was you contact Peace Corps. They send you an application. Of course, now you can just get online and do it. Once you fill it out, there's an interview in the U.S. at one of their um, headquarter buildings. If they like what they you know, see in the interview, you have to go through kind of a series of like medical exams, things like that. Um, and then if everything checks out, they nominate you for a country. Although I think now they might nominate you for a country first before they do the medical stuff. And yeah, you get nominated and they tell, they tell you where you go and what you're going to be doing. Uh, you don't get to decide. You don't get to choose. Do so being even, flexible is really important. So you don't even get to choose the continent. No, you can, you can give preferences, but they don't, but you can't say, I'm going to go to this country and do this thing. That just doesn't work. <laughs> and what if you have a language? Does that usually send you toward one country or another, do you think? Or is it just random? Not necessarily. I know a lot of people who were really good Spanish speakers who were not placed in Spanish-speaking countries. Um, a lot of it, too, is your skills prior to Peace Corps. Like, what are you good at? What's your your niche? Um and then they try to place you in a country where that's going to be fulfilled. I did have Swahili experience before I went to Tanzania, and that might have helped a bit, but yeah, I don't know. 
Right. So you went to Tanzania. Just curious, I know that back a while ago, they used to have quite a few business type Peace Corps positions. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's I mean, there are so many sectors in Peace Corps. Um, and there are like youth development sectors, there's, um, like business sectors. And so you could go to teach small business to villagers or to people in a city. There's, I mean, definitely there's spots in cities, there's places in rural areas. Um, you could be a teacher of English in a big city, or you could be teaching business in a big city. Um, you can also do those things in a rural village. It's so, yeah, many opportunities for many placements. And then I'm curious, did you have any student loans or anything when you went in or applied? And, and is that, are any of those forgiven? I thought they had programs like that as well. Um, They do. I know the Perkins loan, you get a certain percentage forgiven for every amount of time you served in the Peace Corps. Um, by the time I went in, I had very few loans. Um, I was actually able to pay them off while I was overseas. So, um, but most people, you, yeah, you can defer, you can forbear. Having student loans is not a detriment when you're in the Peace Corps because those are easily deferred and forbeared. Okay. So you went to Tanzania. Can you tell me what happens? You get on the plane and then there, there's a whole bunch of procedures you go through, right, afterward in country? Yep. yep. Um, actually, it starts before you even leave America. Um, a couple days before your your assignment is to depart the country, you meet everyone who you're going to enter the Peace Corps with. They call it a class. So you kind of go through this whole process with about 30 to 40 um, other people, at least in Tanzania, it differs for every country. But um, yeah, so we all met in Philadelphia. I believe it was June 14th. We all met in Philadelphia where they do some basic like introductions and um, basic paperwork, immunizations, things like that. And then on June 16th, we all had our last, you know, hurrah in Philly. So with <laughs> cheesesteaks and good beer and Starbucks. And then we all got on an airplane and headed over to Tanzania. The first week we were there, we were in Dar es Salaam all together. And we were doing, again, more introductory stuff. Some basic Swahili, basic like paperwork this is how things kind of go and then they took us to a little village where we all got individual families um and then every day we would meet learn swahili at night we'd go to our families who only spoke swahili is a very cultural immersion language immersion and then after about nine weeks of that and they sent us off to our various sites across the country so i would say peace corps training was one of the few useful trainings i've ever had for any job <laughs> Uh, it, and because of the language and yeah, because of the language, because of the culture, it, it was pretty helpful at least to kind of get started for some of the projects and jobs that I was to complete. Yeah. So it, it was great. Like I, you know, I studied Swahili for about a year before I went. Um, and that was, that was through my undergraduate. So I guess that was, I studied for about a year in 1999 and the program was terrible and I really didn't feel like I learned much. And then, you know, two months in Peace Corps language training, and I feel like I got it pretty, pretty well. So, yeah, the, the crash course really works. I mean, it is amazing what you can pick up in just a couple months mm -hmm. when you're, you're immersed in it. So yeah. they, they don't just dump you in the country. They give you a really good, solid <laughs> grounding before you're off. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I felt they did. Yeah. And what, what did you end up doing in the Peace Corps then? 
<laughs> um, I did a lot of stuff. Um, so I, I did the traditional two years in the village. Um, and then after that, I actually added a year. So I ended up doing three years. But my first two years, I was in a village. It's traditional, tiny, tiny little village in the middle of nowhere. Um, there was no vehicle to get into the village. So you had to hike in from a main road, which is kind of kind of fun sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I ended up uh, teaching environmental education to the students in the school. Um, again, drawing on my past experience, having done that. And so I did that. I worked with um, women's groups to do some small income generating activities. I worked with an HIV AIDS group to reduce the stigma of HIV AIDS in the village, as well as to help help them create a chicken project. So like raising and selling chickens for meat, for eggs, um, whatnot. Um, I worked with farmers to try to teach them composting and to discourage burning fields. Um, I did a lot with like girls empowerment, women empowerment. So, um, and I taught a lot of life skills, a lot of HIV AIDS education, a lot of, you know, how to be a leader, how to set goals, you know, things like that. Um, and I felt that's where I made my biggest contribution was especially like the girls empowerment and the women empowerment and teaching life skills. And that was my first year. So my third year, I worked with a, a, an NGO called Tanzania People and Wildlife Fund. And they're a conservation NGO based out of the Arusha area. And they're great. They, um, their main base is just outside of a Maasai village. Um, and so I would work in the village um, with students, with adults, teaching environmental education and helping the NGO to develop, create, and implement some of their educational projects in the village. That sounds amazing. Where did you get the knowledge to teach this stuff? Um, I mean, well, prior to Peace Corps, I'd spent about nine years teaching environmental education in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So I really just drew in those experiences. Does Peace Corps give you something in order to teach this stuff, or are you just kind of on your own with this? Um, When I first got there, it was just being on your own. Um, and it will vary from country to country. With Tanzania, I actually worked closely with one of our supervisors to develop a, a guidebook on how to do this stuff. And I know now all the subsequent volunteers add to it, change it, and whatnot. So um, Tanzania, the Tanzanian programs are growing quite a bit um, in terms of they are developing more handbooks for this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. you weren't you weren't completely alone in your village? Nope, nope. It was just me and my lone um, there was another volunteer that lived about an hour or so walk away from me, which wasn't bad at all. Some people are all alone for five or six hours, you know, nobody around. Some people do get another volunteer in their village doing a different project. So it can really vary, but I think most volunteers are by themselves. How much time do you uh, get off? What's your typical week like or month? Well, it really varies. Uh, as, as me being, an, I was an environmental volunteer, um, and so my schedule is very, very flexible. Um, like in a typical week, I would teach at the school three days of the week, um, teaching the equivalent of grades five, six, and seven twice a week. I would spend afternoons usually just working in my garden, mornings at the school, and then um, in the evenings I would spend visiting with various villagers and if I had questions or concerns or whatever about projects, I would, that's when I would meet with my villagers would be in the evening. Um, it's when they all came back from the farms. And then the days that I wasn't at the school, I might go to a farm with a villager and just spend all day hoeing corn 
or I might um, go to town. I would go to town about twice a month uh, to get supplies, basic foodstuffs, um, and things like soap and shampoo and things like that. So, so uh, just talking about going to town and getting supplies, what did you eat? Did you have to eat exactly as the locals did? Did you get care packages? How does that work? Oh, yeah, the care packages were wonderful. <laughs> um, so I get those occasionally. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would I would eat, like, rice and veggies every night. My villagers ate something. It was, like, boiled flour, and they call it ugali. And then they would have some kind of, like, a vegetable or sauce to go with it. I usually, if I ate that, it would be at lunchtime, and it would be at one of their houses. Um, I didn't ever cook that for myself. Um, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, nobody makes it the way mama does, you know? So right. <laughs> I would just go to my neighbor's house and they're like, Kelly, how's the Mugali? Um, <laughs> but when I cooked for myself, like I'd make, you know, oatmeal in the morning and I had like a little kerosene like burner that I could use in the morning for tea and cook for tea and oatmeal. And then yeah, lunch, I would usually find it around the village and then dinner. That was kind of my quiet time. So I would close my gates and I'd turn on my iPod and I had a dog. So my dog and I would just chill out and I cook rice and veggies usually. So, so do, if you do go to someplace that's so foreign for food, do that, does Peace Corps sort of give you an introduction to how to cook and what to cook and, and food safety and that kind of thing? Yeah, actually they do. They have a really nice cookbook. That they, uh, at least again, this is, I can only speak for the Tanzania program, but um, they have a really nice cookbook that they gave us that's, again, been been developed by volunteers over the years. Right. And um, so, yeah, and in it, there's all kinds of information about um, nutrition and, how, and like what substitutes you can make because when you're in a village, it might be really hard to find certain things. Um, so, yeah, and it was, it was great. Um, I learned, actually, you know, I learned... I learned a bit. Like, I mean, I was a fairly, you know, I really enjoyed cooking before I went to Peace Corps, but now I'm like, yeah, give me anything and I can <laughs> invent something. And Right. Uh, um, you had a, so it, it struck me, you said, first of all, you had an iPod, so you had some access to electricity where you were. Only in town. Um, and again, I would go to town a couple times a month. Um, we, we, we like to joke that, you know, you're a Peace Corps volunteer, when you time your trips to town around the life of your iPod battery. <laughs> right. So I, I would only use it for a couple hours every night. And I learned how to, okay, you know, turn down the screen brightness. And right. once you turn it on, try not to like make it turn the screen back on again, you know, so right. just to try to conserve, conserve right. batteries. Real conservation, practical oh, yeah. conservation. Oh yeah. And then a dog. How did you get a dog? there's dogs everywhere. Um, I had had my house broken into when I was gone at one point. And so I was like, I, a just want a dog. I love dogs, but you know, B I want kind of more security. Mm -hmm. So I put out the feelers and I ended up getting a little puppy that just been born, um, you know, in the village and yeah, she was my pup and she was wonderful. Um, Company, you know, provide me company, provide me security. She was great at night. Anybody came near the house, she'd start barking. So, well, did did you worry about security then a bit, or? Um, it really wasn't until my house was robbed that I did. Um, and they ended up catching the guy, and who knows what happened to him. But um, I mean, 
I didn't worry about security so much, but like if I were to walk out around my village at night after dark, I would walk with my dog. Um, but during the day it was fine. It was just, my village was an agricultural village. And especially during the, um, the harvest, they would get a lot of like kind of migrant workers who would just show up in the village to like help with the harvest. Mm -hmm. And so those are the people I didn't know, but everybody else I knew, they knew me. I mean, people would come to me after dark be like, Kelly, I have a problem and I need advice. And so you know, my, my, I like my, I trusted my villagers. They trusted me, but it was just all those kind of random people that would show up from time to time that would make me nervous. Right. It, you know, I've heard from other friends too, that it's interesting. The village kind of adopts you and thinks of you as their own and looks out for you sort of. And then the other part is, uh, don't they, aren't they always kind of over at your house or in your business? And how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. My house was in the middle of the village, like smack dab in the middle of the village. Um, and so people would walk by at 6am and knock on my door and get me out of bed. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and they're like, Oh, I'm just off to the farm. Just wanted to say hi. <laughs> and there are some days I had to like close my gates. But if I did that, if it didn't look like I had left my house, um, if it looked like my gate was closed inside, people would still knock and be like, Oh, I just wanted to stop in and say hi. So it was great. Definitely days. I'm like, I just need to hide for a little while. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's when you try and make that trip into town. But, um, yeah. Um, so exactly, exactly. What would you say are kind of the the best things about your experience? The people, hands down. Don't even have to think about it. Definitely the villagers. Um, just working with them and living with them and sharing gossip with them and smiling and festivals and things like that. That was by far the best. And then just doing work that I actually felt really passionate about. And sometimes I felt actually impacted and made a positive difference. That was the best. Um, for every success, I probably had 10 failures, but the successes were just that much more sweet. Those were probably the best, the best parts of serving. And then what would you say is the hardest or most, most difficult part of it? Um, the fact that they don't run on our time schedules. <laughs> so, you know, when you say the meeting starts at 10, everyone shows up at noon um, and you kind of get used to that. But there comes a point when you're like this, whatever project could have been done in a week, but it's taking us months. And it's just, you know, I'm very, you know, I like to get things done. I'm a doer. And it just would drive me up a wall sometimes. And I would just have to remind myself, all right, Kelly, you know, calm down, relax go bake a cake or something. Cause this is not going to happen. <laughs> Did you ever reach a moment where, or a time after like, I don't know, a year or so where you just went with the flow? How long did it take you to adjust sort of to that schedule? Um, you know, it's funny. They say that with Peace Corps, you know, you're going to, we, we, we assumed that with Peace Corps, our patience was going to grow infinitely. I'm pretty sure the opposite happened. My patience got shorter and shorter. I was like, ah! um, but I feel like I finally just kind of got into it. I was probably about a, a year, year and a half, maybe into it that I was like, like okay, <laughs> yeah. this is it. This is the way, you know? And then I found myself, I mean, just like language comes easier. Culture comes easier. Things just kind of come easier after, after a long time. But yeah, it definitely, 
definitely took a while. <laughs> well, it, it says something that you signed on for an extra year. I mean, not everyone does that. A lot of people are just like, two years, I did my part. Okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. But you signing on for another year, that speaks a lot to it, the experience. Yeah, I mean, it was it was incredible. And I was certainly not ready to leave. I'm like, you know, I've got more that I feel I'm ready I can give. And, you know, there's more I want to do here. And I'm not not ready to leave it yet. And even when I did leave, I was ready, definitely ready for a change, ready to leave. But now I'm like, any opportunity I'd be, you know, I'd love to go back. And that's kind of what I'm working on now with graduate schools. Hopefully, I mean, to go back and do more. But um, yeah, and I feel like once you really get the language, it helps a lot with just kind of understanding and just integrating. Um, yeah. Yeah, language is really the key because you can't really get to know people in, until you can speak with them, you know, fairly fluently. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. and just a quick thing, can you extend for longer than three years or do they kind of want people to cycle through the Peace Corps? Um, you can, I believe the longest you can serve is five years. Um, that again, it might vary depending on the country. I know in Tanzania, we had a volunteer who I believe extended and she did a fifth year. Um, and then after that it was done because they, they do put a put a cap on it at some point. So, right. And how was your transition back to the U S and what do they do? Do they, do they give you some kind of transition back here? How does that work? Yep. Yeah, um, so well, for every month that you serve in the Peace Corps, they put a little bit of cash aside so that when you finish Peace Corps, they give you a lump sum of money. Um, so that helps to readjustment. Um, they also have opportunities um, to talk like with psychiatrists and things when you come back to the U.S. to help you adjust, which is great. Um, and there are ways to stay connected. There's a lot of return Peace Corps volunteer groups around the country. I'm actually a member of the Colorado one. Um, and that's really nice because then you can talk to people who've had, you know, similar experiences in the Peace Corps and just kind of, you know, connect that way. It's really nice to be able to have people to connect with. Right. Um, like I had, you know, some friends that came to visit me and so it's great. I can talk with them and they actually understand a lot of what I'm talking about. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, coming back to the U.S., I'm still adjusting. It's still hard. I'm like, wait, which way do I look when I cross the street? <laughs> Right. Where can I find food that doesn't look perfectly manicured? Like, you know, I always tell people I had a freak out. And this, most volunteers, when they return, they have a freak out in the grocery store because the food is plentiful. It all looks perfect. You know, there's right. no haggling. So it's um, kind of a weird sensory overload when you come back because yeah. of the variety and the choices that you haven't had to make in so long that I, it's paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I went to Taco Bell right off the airplane and uh, <laughs> I couldn't even look at the menu. It was so overwhelming. There's like letters and numbers and pictures and they're all squished together. And I'm like, I, I can't even look at this menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. so, wow. Well, that's really good to know that they take care of you when you come back and then you have a little chunk to get started. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it still true that you get preference to have government jobs when you return from the Peace Corps? They, you do have something that's called NCE status, non-competitive eligibility. Um, using it is somewhat challenging, I have found, because a lot of government agencies don't realize how it can be used and the usefulness of it. Um, and that's actually something that I feel 
can even be enhanced as that program. But for a year, you're supposed to have that status. And then if you go to school, that gets, um, you get, uh, that's like deferred a year or whatever, mm-hmm. so which is nice. Um, or it's deferred. So yeah, but you, you, you are supposed to get preference. Um, but again, of course this year too, coming back during the sequester was uh, right. a little more challenging. Exactly. Well, and I guess my, my final question is, uh, would you do it again? And what would you advise other people who are thinking of doing this? Um, I would do it again, but, but I guess, you know, right now, like I'm in, I'm in grad school so that I can go and do Peace Corps kind of work, but get paid for it. Um, so I guess maybe it's like my retirement plan. I would totally do it again. Um, I mean, it was incredible experience and I would recommend everybody to do it for sure. Um, but yeah, I guess I would just recommend that people, you know, don't be afraid to, to, to give up two years of your life and to go do that. I mean, it's really not giving up two years of your life. It's, I don't know, adding two years of right. an incredible experience to your life. And you know, if you're in a position, you know, financially, emotionally, family-wise, whatever, where you can do it, do it. I get so many people who tell me, oh, yeah, I thought about doing that when I was younger or kind of wish that I was done that. You know, it's never too late. You can do it until you're in your 80s. <laughs> I so, and we had volunteers who were older, so. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Keep the dream alive. Don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. You can always do it. And they accept married couples. Wow. That's great. Kelly, thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate you giving us this advice about Peace Corps. It's been incredibly yeah. helpful. <laughs> great. Well, thanks. It's been fun to, to talk about it. If you have any questions for Kelly about the Peace Corps or her experience, please go to chocolife.com.